Hello everyone, I am Harry Foku and I connect businesses in the gaming industry with freelance tech solutions and I'm your host. Today I'm joined by Maxime, producer at Seriously Digital, Senar, senior producer at Lego Games, Sampo, producer at Bakefish Games and Joanna, producer at Iceblake Studios. And today we're here to talk about what makes a great producer. If Maxime can kick us off with a round of introductions, that would be great. So uh, my name is Maxim. I'm currently working at Seriously uh, Digital Entertainment as a producer, and uh, I have about 10 years in games, starting up from QA at Rovio as a junior tester. And there I spent most of my time QAing or producing for around seven years or eight. And then I've moved moved on to become a QA manager at, at Seriously, and then uh, later now for the past year, a producer for a year and a half or so. Awesome. And Sampo, could you please introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, hello, I'm Sampo, uh, currently producer at Bakefish Games. Been been at, in this position for a year uh, and a couple years years at Bakefish. Previously, uh, I was uh, uh, in our own company. We were like a six-person small indie team and uh, multiple hats there and uh, doing doing a bit of everything. So gained gain some knowledge of indie development and from the different areas there. Great. And Joanna, could you please introduce yourself? Uh, yeah. Hi, everybody. I'm Joanna. Uh, I'm from Iceblake Studios and I am the producer uh, at Iceblake Studios. Uh, I used to do QA as well uh, at Iceblake. So I was the QA manager for um, the first three years uh, of my time at Iceblake. Um, and then now I've been the producer for roughly a year. Um, and then before that, I actually uh, have my background in uh, doing some customer support for EA uh, at EA Galway uh, in Ireland. And then before that, uh, I was at an indie studio called Aeonic uh, Entertainment, uh, which there's a lot of a lot of different roles there as well. So game design and some QA and, and a lot of other things as well. Right. And finally, Senna. Hi, I'm Sen, uh, senior producer at LEGO Games. I've been in the games industry for over 14 years. Um, I also started out in QA and have uh, been doing that for around six years until I moved over to doing more product management and production roles. And now I'm at LEGO Games, so here I am. Lovely, so let's start. Maxime, what is your question and the context behind it? All right, so my question is, how do you escape meeting hell to have time for process improvements? And a little bit flourish and background to this question is uh, we're all involved in obviously discussing and thinking about not only processes uh, that we're improving and trying to make work as smoothly as possible, but of course we need to sync with, well, every department uh, that is related to a specific feature or maybe even the whole game company, depending uh, on, the, on the circumstances of where we are working. And so what I mean by meeting how is uh, I'm sure we've all been hit with tsunamis of uh, sort of uh, meeting after meeting after meeting for weeks on end. So how do you kind of find the time to really just escape those kind of blockades of meetings and actually sit down and just maybe sync one-on-one to that person you've been dying to talk to for the past maybe, I don't know, two to three weeks or maybe two weeks already? All right. Sen, do you want to start on this one? Yeah, sure. Um, I honestly feel that... Um, depending on where you are in the production of, of a project, um, there's always going to be a moment where you're kind of building the process. And there is going to be a moment where you're going to have to have quite a few meetings to establish kind of the process. So you shouldn't be continuously having all of these meetings ongoing 
uh, throughout the project if you're able to establish those means for others to take responsibility and accountability to manage their own um, backlogs or their own um, kind of teams within the, the, the projects. And obviously it depends on the type of project, how big the studio is. These are all kind of major factors, but essentially you shouldn't be the one that's always having many meetings and 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 because like I said you should be able to, to kind of that should be able to take care of itself once you've got the initial kind of structure um, kind of sorted out and if you haven't got that structure sorted out then you will have those ongoing issues where you know you'd have these meetings pop up and you're gonna have to take care of them so with a bit of planning involved I think you can take care of that and make sure that the team itself is able to manage their own uh, meetings and their own teams. Lovely. How about you, Shampo? Thoughts on that? Sure. Um, I would. I would guess that my meeting hells are quite quite smaller than uh, as with the, as with our smaller team and not 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 quite like departments inside our company. But but there has been occasions and uh, and we've struggled with that some bit. And uh, I'd say that uh, what we have found to work is is uh, one is like finding the persons that actually kind of need to be in the meetings and and not including everybody who wants to be or kind of finding the actually relevant people uh, to put it bluntly and uh, and also also like uh, making the meetings uh, having having the goals of the meetings clear for everyone so that uh, we can keep it like very streamlined and 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 uh, can go through the goals and sort of like in a in a com what's uh, it hallitus uh, <laughs> board meetings or or stuff like that and afterwards kind of kind of making sure that the stuff has been resolved so you don't have to have a dub duplicate meeting at some point talking about the same things that you you've gone over already. No, I really like that. Uh, Joanna, thoughts. Uh, yeah, so I was actually uh, when I when I heard this question, I, I thought about it in two ways. So I think it's because uh, I was I wasn't sure about like the background of the question. So I started thinking like if you're talking about like specifically as a producer, like you as the producer are are uh, in the meeting hell. Um, I think the first question to ask is is just ask yourself, am I actually adding value to this meeting? Um, could somebody else take the notes or relay this information? Because I think a lot of the times, um, at least personally, I, I notice that I'll I'll start kind of like saying like, I can do this, I can do this, I can do this. But then at the same time, there's a lot of times where somebody else could be doing that same thing. And my presence isn't actually that necessary. Uh, even in some cases, it might be better to, to drop out and have people take the responsibility of, of uh, being the one to talk in that meeting and everything like that. So I think that's, that's the number one question that I would, start asking myself like is this meeting something where I need to be I also start thinking about it on the side of like um, if there's an entire team that, or like you know like you have the whole co company or the whole team constantly in meetings um, and I think one of the thing, biggest things in there is is just like um, I think we should normalize the whole thing of like once your role or your turn in that meeting is over um, just jump out like I feel like a lot of people feel really awkward jumping out in the middle of a meeting but a lot of the times it's like, like, for example, if you have artists and programmers in there, the artist is not most likely not going to understand what programmers are talking about. So why are they in a meeting for 30 minutes and not actually even paying attention when they could be focusing on their thing? So I think that's something that we should normalize in, in like in the games culture. Like just if it's not relevant to you, it's OK to drop out. Like you can just like kind of 
I think in, in especially if it's a digital meeting, it's even more obvious because it'll actually like say like, oh, Joanna left the meeting and that's like super, <laughs> super big. Uh, but I think like in real life, you could actually just say like, hey, I need to get back to my, my task. So I'm going to just like jump out of this meeting, like if you're in a meeting room. So I think that's something um, that should be should be like normalized. Um, and then I think as a producer, this is something that always comes to my mind is like just having um, an agenda for the meeting. Sampo kind of kind of said this as well, but it's it's like having a clear agenda of what do we want to accomplish with this meeting, and then following with that. And every time the conversation starts to go somewhere else, because that's gonna happen. Let's let's face it, that is always gonna happen. Um, I think it's it's a big thing of just saying like, hey, this is a good subject. Um, this is not on our meeting agenda today. So I'm gonna make a note that we're gonna we, we need to schedule another meeting to talk about this. Um, but let's get back to this 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 subject and then try and keep those meetings as as concise and short as possible so i think those were those are kind of like the things that i would probably start looking at and and like like you said Martin, like i i have those specific days where it's like meeting after meeting after meeting um and i've had to start just like start looking at it like hey am i am i really needed here like what's the point of me being here what am i adding to this meeting um unfortunately a lot of the times the answer is that i am needed there um <laughs> That's then 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 that's a necessary new meeting that I have to be in. But but yeah, so these were these were kind of my my thoughts on the on the whole question of like just I think like just making sure that it's a necessary meeting to have and 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 the agenda I think that that might help at least in some some cases. Then I think you've raised your hand. So. Yeah, no, I just wanted to, to to your point about the agenda. I think that's really important because when you're writing that agenda, you'll see yourself whether or not you feel that that is something that is um that is crucial to involve the people that you've put into that meeting and trying to figure out the rationale around how, you know, what is going to come out of this meeting? What are going to be the action points that you're going to be able to take away and be able to action after the meeting? So I think when you're questioning yourself whether or not if this is a, something that you should um, organize now or later with certain people, I think that all comes into the way you organize your, your agendas uh, to ensure that you're always keeping um, a conscious eye on um, whether or not these are the things that you really need to have a meeting for, or whether you can take it out into another place or offline, for example, and things like that. Because I think we do get into, especially now where we're in COVID and pandemic, and we've been all in, in meetings so many times because we're not in the office. I think it's really important to try and now figure out we don't want to disrupt the team so much that they always in teams uh, in meetings themselves. You want them to be getting on with what they need to get on, and 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 that's all down to the 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 way you set out the way the project is run. So it's really important that everyone knows their role and what they need to do. So as long as that is kind of like laid out properly, I think, like I said, you should have some people be able to do what they need to do and and do it freely without having to question uh, what's going on. I love it. Uh, back to Maxime, kind of, I guess, closing thoughts on this. Like, how do you think about this problem? Yeah, okay. So I, I, am I going to be the only one that confesses that they book a specific time slot for themselves to not be bothered, like in a meeting room? So like, here's like two to four, please, like, do not bother me. I'm in my own whatever special meeting. No? Okay. I, I have those two. I have those two. Okay. So. <laughs> right. I do it. Okay, yeah. So I'm not the only one. So yeah, that was kind of my point of, where where do you really kind of find the time and the structure and everything else? And I think the point with the agenda was really good. And Sam, what you mentioned about actually having that initial kind of, well, architectural buildup of what needs to be done into the future and have that initial planning. I think that's uh, really just 
extremely crucial, especially in the beginning, because if if things are kind of trailing away and falling behind, I think in this you're going to be, I guess it's just a feedback loop at that point. You're just going to be repeating the same mistakes over and over again. And then, as uh, yeah, Joanna mentioned, like, do you really have to be in in these type of meetings as well? So it's it's uh, yeah, I, I think all extremely extremely valid points on all of this. I had one follow up question because I've seen this in. You know, my company, I think it's a common issue, like what Joanna said about allowing people to drop out, um, normalizing it. I mean, sometimes I feel like I don't want to do it because someone else higher than me expects me to stay. And I can imagine even as a producer, you might have a lead producer, CEO, who expects you to be on a meeting that you think otherwise shouldn't. Like, do you just have the kind of honest conversation like, I know better? Or like, how do you navigate that? Do you just kind of leverage and just say, I guess I'll be in this meeting or any thoughts on that, anyone? I think it really does depend on who is actually orchestrating that meeting because they would need to then contact you beforehand, whether or not you're crucial to this. And if, and if you don't, you don't honestly feel that you're going to be putting your inputs, not going to be valuable enough or your time that you're using is not going to be spent wisely, then that conversation should be had prior to the meeting. You shouldn't get to the point where you've gone into the meeting and then you're feeling uncomfortable about leaving because um, essentially if you've already given um, the information that you've even given in the meeting per se, then you could probably decide then, right, this is time for me. Sorry, guys, I need to leave. I've got to jump to something else. But you've contributed to the meeting and let everyone else then get on with what they need to get on with. So it does depend. But I would say, again, like, planning is is crucial and, and communication as well I mean don't be afraid to, to reach out to people and not only question but to discuss and and to make sure that everyone's on the right page uh, I think it's a really really good point about like uh, uh, being able to leave a meeting what you said about it Sen and Joanna and I think we, we have this baseline of like let's say we have a meeting from five to six and these people attend so they should be there the whole time but uh, for example, when, when we have sprint meetings, there's like uh, three hours of time where we don't touch any art issues, only code stuff. And the artists just sit there and that's it makes no sense. And uh, uh, it's not an easy thing to like kind of overcome, like how, how, how do we then handle this? Do we have separate meetings that are mushed into one or how? But I think it, it should be resolved somehow because that's lost time. No, 100%. Uh, just to you, Joanna, and then we'll move on to the next question. Yeah, I just I just wanted to mention that like uh, so we we had this like project sync meeting um, every every Friday, uh, which was kind of like getting getting everybody in and, and saying like what did they do this week for the project and everything like that. Um, so what literally I started doing was kind of saying to a specific artist, for example, that hey, thanks for like w when they were done, like they had said like okay, so I did this and this and this these things, um, and then I would just say like okay, thank you, um, and I think if you, if nobody has any further questions, uh, you can just now like jump back back into your work and stuff like that so i think it's 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 also i think the responsibility of the person who is organizing the meeting so in this case me as the producer to kind of make it clear for them that they are now oh it's okay for them to now leave um obviously like i, I always want to make sure that i ask people like hey does anybody have any questions for this person before we let them go back to work just so th so that it's not a case where uh we'll have i'll have to ping them and be like hey can you come back that has actually happened in the past as well um but usually usually it's a case of like okay like we can follow up after the meeting if we need to but i, I just think it's like it you know like have, make setting those expectations before the meeting already with the people in it just like saying like hey once you're done 
you're free to jump out. That's fine. And then I think like kind of enforcing it as well in that case, just like me, me pointing out like, hey, so your, your part is done right now. Like, just feel free to jump, jump back into your regular work and do that. So I think it's just like taking the responsibility as well, like uh, as the producer, because I'm organizing the meeting. So yeah, just wanted to point that out. No, 100%. I think that is a big reason I've seen at least firsthand, like the boss in charge, if they give the permission, it's like, oh, okay, fine. Okay, now I can go rather than assuming, right? Uh, nice one. So let's move on to the second question, which is from Sampo. Sampo, what is your question and the context behind it? Yeah, so my question is, uh, uh, do you think a producer needs a baseline understanding of all the game development areas, like art, code, design, and so on? And if so, if so, why or why not? And kind of the context there, uh, just like general discussion about it. Uh, when in in other hand, you could have this producer that comes from, let's say, music and jumps into a game dev company. Can can he fare well there? Or or on the other hand, you could have this person who's been working 20 years in different areas and is is now has been uh, changed this uh, station to producer and his extensive knowledge of of all the areas like what's the benefits or is there rather some uh not benefits <laughs> i don't, don't remember the word but <laughs> yeah lovely uh maxime can you start on this one please yeah sure so uh yes and no that's how i would start uh, to answer it and the reason for this is uh, you mentioned the music industry. I've actually worked with producers that came directly from uh, organize, organizing festivals and, and whatnot and then j jumped into gaming. So I think there needs to be at least an interest uh, always in, in whatever you're doing. So if the passion and the interest is there, then I don't think that the knowledge gap in any way is going to kind of hurt or, or, you know, or not having that baseline. And so I've noticed that's not a necessity. And the reason for that also is why I think that is because you get sometimes interesting questions uh, from someone from, I don't know, maybe the aviation industry that's not working as a producer in games. Why are we doing the art pipeline this way? Or uh, why are we doing the code pipeline in this way? And so you get a broader horizon there for sure of, of how different things can be done as well. Because I think at times, and this isn't always a negative, of course, there's also producers with fantastic baselines in each and every single area, and, and they really know what they're doing as well. But maybe sometimes they really overlook that kind of naive new uh, nuance to the work that you're doing. And maybe they've just kind of been repeating through the motions the same thing that they're just kind of used to. So that's my take on it. Awesome. Uh, Joanna, thoughts? Uh, yeah, I think it's, it, for me, it kind of depend, depends on the definition of baseline understanding. I think that if you know the basics or like, like for example, I, I can't code, like I've done uh, hello world back in school at some point and my photos of shop skills are like minus five um so i can't do that either but i think like knowing what goes into the work like kind of just like understanding that it's not just it's not just somebody typing in funny words into a text editor and then magic happens but understanding that it takes a lot of work of like thinking about like what's what's needed in this in this program and how can we make it so that it's performing as well as possible understanding what the work is is going to help a producer a lot because then i think it gives you kind of the idea of like what to expect because you know we are uh, we are the ones who try to plan all the timelines and stuff like that so if you don't if you don't know like kind of if you have no idea how long something could take 
um, obviously here comes the whole point of like you need to be able to go and ask the questions because that's the thing like it's supposed to be the person who does it who can kind of give you an evaluation of it but I think it helps if you can kind of get some kind of like estimate or guesstimate based on your own knowledge and then kind of hone that timetable from there because then you can kind of do stuff without having to lean on all of your developers and all of the people in your team and and kind of just like do some preliminary work beforehand so I think that's kind of the biggest advantage of kind of knowing uh, what's happening in the whole development pipeline. Um, but then I, th I think it's also there's also another another thing where when you understand the development process a little bit better, you also, I think, get to know your team members a little bit better because you understand what they're doing and you can kind of talk to them about it. Um, and then maybe learn about their strengths and weaknesses. So kind of if you know, okay, I have a programmer who's really good at this. So maybe I, I should try and like emphasize so that they get this task and I can make sure that they have the availability to do this task because they're really good at it and it's going to be like, they're going to be the best person to do this job. So I think that's, that's also a plus. Um, but I also, I also have to say like the, I think there is the small negative uh, of like, if you are somebody who just, who knows everything like you you kind of like you yeah you know how, how to code you know how to do art stuff and all that kind of stuff um i think there is the possibility that you might start thinking like oh well this should be a quick task and not realizing that just because it might be a quick task for you doesn't mean that it's a quick task for everybody um and also like nobody likes a backseat programmer so just like <laughs> maybe let the programmers do their own job and all of that so i think that's always a possible issue but uh, no i just i think like it's it's something that you're, you don't, you don't necessarily have to have the baseline understanding, but I think it makes the job a lot easier. Like at least personally. That's really interesting. Uh, I have a follow-up question later on that. Like, kind of, can a producer like learn the baseline just by producing, just naturally? Does that just happen? Yes. I see nods. Cool. Lovely. Just curious. Then uh, over to you. Yeah. No. Um. I I agree with a lot of what Joanna said, and I think um I'll probably be repeating what. A lot of what Joanna said already, but basically, yeah. I mean, I think it's it's not essential, but I think it's it's um it's always good to have that that kind of baseline understanding of all the disciplines and 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 like you said, Joanna, to be able to communicate, to be able to understand the scope of the project and what features and things like that that you have to break down with the team. It's always good to be able to sit in and and talk and discuss openly and honestly about what needs to be done, um, and just to have that kind of that background knowledge is is enough for you to kind of make um, some good estimations of decisions based off that. And, um, you know, when it comes to like people, uh, producers having kind of like more than just the, the knowledge of being a producer, but doing it other disciplines, I always think that you have to be trusting the people that are hired to do those jobs. And there should be obviously leads involved uh, in, in, in the hierarchy of things in terms of how the studio is set up, but essentially those are the people you should be trusting uh, to to get the job done. So regardless of how much knowledge you have, you should always be the one to give advice, but never um, step on anyone's toes. And if there is a case where you really feel that passionately about something not being right, then you got to have that open discussion with the leads and and not make it something that is in front of everyone else. I think as a producer, you've got to have a lot of understanding and respect and be able to know when to get involved and when to step away because micromanagement is the last thing you want to do in your team and I think as all producers here we've all felt that in our in our careers as well so I feel that putting that on others is probably a negative as well so 
yeah, I think uh, you don't need it. It's not necessary, but it's it's a really good nice to have um, in that respect. Cool. So over to Sam, well, I guess. Uh, kind of how have you? Um, what's been your experience? Yeah, I think really good points all around, and uh, kind of the kind of the reason I asked this is is because my background is in development and. We were a small company, so had to do lots, lots of stuff, and and that's kind of gaining knowledge of the game development area. And, and and I feel that sometimes it's a bit of a hindrance in in terms of like getting too entangled in the development because of the interest in it. And and what you said, Senna, about like uh, sometimes uh, backing off, and it's it's harder to do when you are entangled in the development. So just was just kind of wondering if if it's sometimes better to be be sort of like a blind man in an orchestra to enjoy the music better kind of I don't know if that makes sense but kind of yeah not not focus on the development side when it's sometimes it's just not your department at all and keep on producing and yeah finding the balance on there is is hard uh, go on Jona yeah, I think that that's exactly like kind of what was my point about like being a back uh, backstage programmer is like if you have a really big interest in that subject or whatever it is that they're doing, um, it can be really hard to kind of just like keep keep your opinions to yourself because in the end, as producers, we are not the people we we're the ones who make sure stuff happens and we make sure people can do what they want to do and, and need to do, uh, but we're not really the ones doing the actual. Um, tasks themselves um so i think it's 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 in a way it would be better when you would be kind of more oblivious so then you don't even have that kind of temptation in a way to just go in and be like but is that the best way to do it though like is it <laughs> so i don't know I, I yeah i have i have to say like that's that's definitely something that i think everybody needs to watch out for <laughs> i'm thinking now like especially because you four come from qa backgrounds and a lot of producers have come from a qa background i imagine you get a baseline from QA, like at least a little bit, right? Because you have to deal with that right on the ground. So definitely probably a reason why there's a lot of producers coming from QA because it's a natural thing, right? Because you have that baseline understanding. Awesome. Uh, uh, let's move on to the next question, guys. So the next question is from Joanna. Joanna, what is your question and the context behind it? Yeah, so my question was uh, how to best balance between expectations from leads and development team. Um, and to clarify this this question, um, so obviously I think we've always all been in that situation where, you know, you're, you have a timeline and you know a deadline is approaching. Um, but then then that designer comes in and is like, but I really got this really cool idea that, and I really want to implement this. Um, and then it's like, it's a situation where you, you kind of have to like start thinking about like, okay, could we implement this? Um, what's going to happen and everything and, and kind of, you know, every now and then you have to be the bad guy and say like, no, we don't, we don't have the resources to do that thing right now. So I think it's, it's like, if, if any of you guys have like any, any best practices here and, or like even just like setting the expectations of this is our timeline and we need to stick to it. And then, because I think it's, it's also like when people are, are in the manager roles and leading positions, they have, they they have the bigger picture in mind but then the actual developers have you know they have the smaller tasks so i think a lot of them might value those tasks you know in a, a lot more than leads because they see it as one task among all the others so i think just any any like best practices advice um anything at all on this all right i would like sampa to start on this one please 
Uh, sure. Uh, uh, I think like uh, the vision kind of expectations and uh, what are we working towards is, is, is a tricky one because it's always a different thing in everyone's head, but kind of I think that that's that is something that the leads leads work toward and the producer kind of have has to pull out of them to get get it clarified as as possible and and therefore some somehow kind of build this whatever it is uh, whatever form it has the vision but or the expectations but kind of pull enough information from the from the leads that that work towards it and to, to be able to kind of formulate that uh, expectation to the whole team but also to the producer him or herself to to be able to to be able to kind of more easily be in the in the scenario where you have to say that no this is not this is not going to fit the scope or this is not going to fit the timeline or sometimes be 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 able to like okay this is actually such a good idea and uh, and uh, that maybe we can fit it but can we take something else out or like kind of very situation dependent but but uh, whatever the case when when it comes to deadlines and stuff like that it is just uh, making decisions is so much uh, more kind of imperative than than making the best decision no really appreciate that sample i think i've seen that happen where i guess studios make a game and keep making it and keep tweaking it or you know just in perpetuity first i don't know what the word is there in perpetuity is wrong but basically forever you know like just, just keep on improving on a game over and over again and not making those decisions like you said Samper. perpetuity way uh sam over to you thoughts on expectations yeah i think um the the best way i think that i've dealt with that in the past is to make sure that everyone is clear on how, the, the, what the ramifications are uh, and what, what the impact is going to be uh, if, we, if we go ahead with any of these changes because it's not just one thing. Like a developer can go, well, I can make this thing and it will work and it will be fine, but then you've got to go through QA and every, all sorts of other processes on top of that to, to make these things uh, work and to make them not break the, <laughs> the house of cards uh, type uh, coding that sometimes you find yourself in when you're in small studios, um, and and you just got you just got to make sure that um, if you are going to change anything, that those are clearly outlined, and that the impact that they're going to have. I think that's super important. And um, yeah, I think you can't please everyone. You're going to have people that are going to be upset that they cannot add things in, but essentially you've got to make that decision where it's kind of like, is this imperative to the project? Is this something that you, what I usually do with teams as well is um, look at the, the kind of the, the, the pillars. It, you always refer back to the pillars of what you're creating in terms of the project. And it's really important to say, do these things uh, align with the pillars that we have in the game? And if they don't, then why are we doing this? Because the pillars are the things, <laughs> the established things, that the fundamental things that are at the, you know, the, fun, the, the, the foundations of the project. So aligning with that, being able to clearly um, discuss with the teams and the leads, you know, what is this going to, what sort of impact is this going to have, not just in the development of it, but in terms of um, positive impact it's going to have on the project. Is it really worth it? And I think this comes back to QA as well, where you're like, you're looking at the backlog, you're looking at the priority of things that need to be done. 
is it really that much more important than some really severe issues or problems that you're having right now, which are just going to, um, you know, put much more on top of that in terms of the amount of things you've got to do. Um, so, yeah, I think it's it's quite important that you have those, you know, really honest discussions about that. I like that. And I'm thinking if you do that really, really well, you go back to meeting hell. So sounds like being a producer is very difficult. Um, <laughs> over to <laughs> uh, over to Maxime. Yeah, uh, just piggybacking, I guess, off of what Sen said, it's uh, it's extreme importance to really understand the kind of the, uh, the fallback that can happen from it. And it's it really comes as a well project or producer project manager or producer or PO, you really just have to understand that uh, you just have to do the risk analysis for it and where the value really lies. Uh, is this for your customers or is this a business value? And this is the same discussion you need to be having with either the managers or the leads. And then this is the exact same clear transparency you need to be having with your uh, developers or artists or whoever else is in the team. Everyone does make a decision in, in the end uh, together. And so, yeah, I think the clarity is the most important thing really there uh, because there's been times where I'm sure we've all implemented things that should have probably gone in there last minute, but I'm sure there's been also plenty of times where something really paid off just because you got it in there just in time. And even though maybe that time could have been saved for other improvements or something else, maybe that there was the critical point that actually broke and made the game itself better. Uh, so, yeah. I like it because it feels like it's not a clear um, cut in so many variables here, right? With a creative industry, I found that there's very many ways to do kind of the same thing. And then you have different kind of different kind of customers you're looking at. And then it's just really interesting. Um, one thing I had, I really liked was kind of, I thought it was quite obvious, you know, making everyone know of the negative ramifications that makes me a lot of sense. But then the positive ramifications completely slipped my mind, which I thought was really interesting. Like what is actually going to happen either to the bottom line or to the marketing or you know to the users. And I wondered in terms of when it comes to a game where it's like an active community, let's say you come up with a feature. I don't know if I've seen it enough as a consumer or if it's just really hard to do logistically. So my question is like, if you come up with an idea, is there a way to like test that by like asking the community, for example? Like, is there or is that not really done that much, Maxime? Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's it's a double-edged sword that one as well. So uh, you can always ask community for uh, what they like, of course. And there's always uh, hundreds of DMs always coming in about, oh, this would be really cool and that would be really awesome and this would really benefit, <laughs> but. Uh, I know developers and, and product owners specifically tend to at least, well, maybe they even do sometimes know better, but they definitely pretend to know better most of the time as well. Uh, and so at times it becomes this kind of struggle that I'm not even sure is it the community manager or who is the team as a whole that you discussed really that are these the features worth for us and what do they actually bring to us? Is it, is it just for the community happiness? Because we also need to make a profit, of course. So and have lives that we're living as well. So it's it's really about testing it out with really, I guess, small incremental uh, edits into it and then checking, does the community actually like the direction we're going into it? Uh, are our metrics falling? Are they going up? So it's just these, I would guess, baby steps into the pond before we are brave enough to do kind of these full bomb dives into the swimming pool. 
what I'm really interested on that, Maxime, is that's possible with like mobile games. But when you speak to someone like Dice making Battlefield for the tenth times, like we can't do that. We have three years to work on this game or what have you, right? And well, that's the that's the beauty of mobile games. <laughs> the beauty as well, and obviously, yeah, comes with its challenges. But I find it really interesting that this just things just like a different language sometimes. Like um, I don't know about you, Zen uh, and Sampo, because I believe the games you've been involved with have been more PC and console. So I was just wondering, like, do you interact with the community much before a release? Is it like an integral part? Um, we do uh, user testing a lot. Um, and especially if there's like games that have previously come from that studio, we really do deep dives and retrospectives on what went really well and what, what really um, what really stuck with the, with the community. What, what, what could we do to grow the community? How, how can we make this better for the community? So I think there, there is a few ways you can look at, you know, previous games as well as doing a bit of like um, user testing to ensure that what you're doing is in the right direction. Um, but I think it also comes from just an understanding of as a player yourself, um, someone uh, just taking yourself out of that development um, kind of um, scene and putting yourself in as your own kind of user. Like how, how would you like to like play these games and how what, what would you like to see in these in these games what what's out there right now that's done really well what features have really um helped games um you know uh, have have more bigger communities or attach rates to engagement and things like that i think there's a lot of errors you could do to do a bit of research and i think that all helps to kind of then align on whether or not you want to do that for for your own projects lovely i love it yeah, uh, we we are uh, like a very very community centric uh, company in in a sense that uh, the our first release Barrow Trauma was like uh, even before early access, which is ha- it has now been in for two years. But even before that, like year or two before that, there was like already very primitive prototype builds spread spread to the community, and uh, uh, there. It's definitely a double-edged sword, like uh, Maxim said, and there's like uh, there, there's this open-mindedness that the developers need to have in order to kind of uh, take good notes from the community, like the ideas and all all the all the stuff they want to see in there, but also to have this kind of a strict strict vision themselves. So so it it's in the end we are making games for the community, but but in the end. The team is who are making those, and the team team knows better about the future of the game and and the whole 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 kind of structure of the game. And uh, sometimes the community hits the nail on the head with an idea that the development did, didn't even like thought thought about. But sometimes it's just a struggle of like many people want this thing, but it's it's just not fitting for and uh, for for the game at least not in the developer's head and it's just a struggle of like but but yeah but you promised us and uh, stuff like that and yeah it's but but i think like on a more general note i think that's the power in in today's internet and global era that i think that's definitely at at some level because you can do it now because you can take community feedback easily you can update games through internet and it's so different than 20 years ago that why not benefit from it at some level at least oh, that's great to hear lovely i want to move to the final question now so the final question is from sen sen 
what is your question and the context behind it? Sure. So my question is, how do you deal with unexpected scope change on projects and how that impacts planning, timelines, all that sort of stuff? So imagine just to give you kind of like a, uh, a, a scenario, imagine you've just, you know, gone through pre-production, uh, everything's been greenlit, you've got the, you've proposed your timelines, your, um, your roadmap, everything, you've got the Jira database going, everything's all on its way. Uh, and then you get through and you start and you're going through that process, you're developing this game, and then suddenly something happens uh, unforeseen and the, you know, someone from above says, no, we've got a, you know, change direction or we've got to cut this or do that. How do you deal with that? All right. Uh, Joanne, could you please start on this one? Uh, yeah, sure. So I was thinking about this as, as like, where, where does that change come from? I think that's, that's the number one question. Um, if it is coming from above you, it is most likely something that you really need to take seriously. Um, oftentimes it might be like, like kind of relating back to my question, I, it might be a developer is kind of saying like, hey, we could do this and this and this, and that's, that's kind of easier. But if it is coming from someone above, like the game director is saying like, hey, this is something that we really need to address. We need to do this kind of change. Um, I think it is extremely important just like doing a risk analysis of the situation and, and kind of seeing, um, the impact of that scope change. I think that's what I would do first. Like, I'd just see, like, okay, so this scope change, like, um, what's what's it gonna do to the project itself? Like, is it is it something that could be done um, simultaneously without actually affecting timelines? Like, maybe if we hire some more people, for example, could we then be able to do this scope change, or is it something that's gonna just essentially take all my beautiful plans and all my beautiful gyro boards and all of them and just toss them to the rubbish bin, like what's going to happen with it? Um, I think just like looking at the impact first of that scope change, um, but also just like like that was mentioned in, in uh, by Maxim in my previous question, just like that. Also just thinking about like the positive impact as well. Like is this change going to be something that will for example, in, in, like make our target audience a much larger audience. Like, is is it gonna ma make this game from a one million million player game to a ten million player game? Because then, like, changing everything, then my plans can go to rubbish bin, no problem. I'll toss them myself. Like, that's that's okay with me. Um, so I think it's it's a lot of like just evaluating the impact of that scope change. That's that's where I I would go first. Um, as a question of like how how do I deal with it? Uh, I would say I try, try my best, <laughs> obviously, um, but it's, I think it's just something that it's, it's something that you just kind of have to have to be, be ready for. Uh, this was something that I was actually talking to another uh, person, person from Paradox Interactive, uh, a product, uh, I think they are, they were a producer and now they're in some other role. Um, but anyway, so they were even saying uh, just like as their principle is um, don't, don't try to like remove risks because something's always going to go wrong. We all know that something's going to always go wrong. So instead of trying to just remove all the risks, um, be prepared for them. Just have that in your timeline to begin with. Think about it like, okay, so obviously like if it's a massive change of like direction, there's nothing you can't prepare for that because that's something like otherwise you just have like six months of extra time in a project, which is not realistic. Um, but like try and make sure that you have buffers every everywhere just so you can kind of maybe like look at, okay, so if we would do this change, we would lose some of these buffers, but is it still doable? Can we still do it? So I think it's a lot of like just making sure that the plans themselves already have 
that amount of space in them. Um, and then, yeah, just like discussing, I think the biggest thing is just like discussing the reality. Is it actually something that we can do? And if we do it, what is the impact? That's that's the number one things. Yeah. Awesome. Thoughts on that, Sampo? Yeah, uh, I think I think like uh, one problem is that 70% of people underestimate. Uh, and so the number is probably higher. So uh, it's kind of like very much what Joanna said, like, uh, it's it's super hard to if you have a multi multi year project for example you really can't scope that clearly so kind of just embracing the scope creep scope creep in a way having having buffer based on the timeline and like if it's a huge feature then having even more buffer sometimes that's not an option but uh, smashing enough buffer that like uh, that is possible kind of going with that but um, then then there is like but that's that's more to, towards the scope creep scope creep that's like uh, when you have planned stuff but it uh, reveals to be much more work than than you thought of then there's of course the the scope creep when when kind of you get new ideas and you want to add new stuff and then then it gets a bit more tricky to kind of prepare for and then then it's more or less about the stuff already discussed like uh, the pillars and going back to those and the vision and and stuff like that awesome maxime yeah i guess first things first is do not panic is the first thing to say that uh, con uh change is a, a constant and it will always be no matter what project uh, no matter how big the scope changes it will Maybe not happen every scope, but it definitely happens a couple of times a year, hopefully, uh, to most people, but maybe sometimes more. And uh, I really like what Sampo said about embracing uh, the scope creep. That's really just what you have to do is just brace for it and, and understand that at some you almost have to be a little bit paranoid constantly as a producer and just constantly think that something at some point is going to go wrong. And you're constantly doing risk analysis at the back of your head, like, where are these... Uh, key pinpoints in the bridge that will soon collapse uh, and putting buffers there, as you said. But if it's small changes, as we already discussed, maybe a little bit uh, earlier in, 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 the, in the cast is just, you know, risk analysis and then look for the benefits. Buffers and leeways are always good to have. Uh, and if it's a really big scope, let's say you're throwing out, I don't know, a year or two out, out the window, then we're coming back to the just the clear transparency of why we are doing this or why is this actually happening and, and how how are we building ourselves uh, forward from this? Sen mentioned earlier about pillars. I really like that. Is this like going towards our company or our team's pillars? Is this what we're actually building for? Is this what we're standing for? Is this what everyone also wants to sign off uh, on themselves? Because not everyone, after putting in that much work, may even want to continue on such a project and i've seen this unfortunately in previous cases where you're building some prototype and maybe it becomes something bigger and all of a sudden you're two years in but then the whole project gets scrapped all of a sudden so these are these are really big hard changes that some companies go through and uh, you just have to kind of always be prepared for the worst but uh, and uh, just produce produce for the best uh johanna yeah yeah i just wanted to jump in on that like transparency i think that's one of the biggest things like when when this happens uh when whatever kind of scope change happens i think it's a big thing to make sure um 
as the producer that you update all relevant documentation um, as fast as you can so that people who are working in the team have some reference points to jump back into. Like if it's, okay, let's say like we have to scrap a major feature and to bring in this new thing or like change timelines completely, um, making sure that that information is available to everyone in the team is so crucial because it'll otherwise, it can so easily just snowball into an effect like, some artist is like, yeah, I think it was like this date. And then the other one gets, another person gets that time as well. And then everything is just like confusing and everything like that. So I think like transparency, especially and with the communication, it has to be a, like that has to be one of the biggest things to just think about and, and make sure like it's, it's always that one document, piece of documentation that you forgot about. And then somebody's looking up at it and, and everybody's confused about what's happening right now. So I think it's just like making sure that it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, to communicate it clearly and efficiently to all the, to the entire entire team, I think that's such a big thing as well. No, that's great. Uh, Sen, back to you. Yeah, no, I think that all of those points that were raised are super important. I think transparency, being able to communicate, um, allowing for the buffer uh, to, to mitigate a lot of these things that potentially could come in. Um, I think these are all the things you can do to preempt, but when it comes to these things, as we know, making games is such a hard thing. It's not an easy thing to do. And people have just got to take a, a deep breath and understand that, you know, this is not the end of the world. We can find a way through this. And uh, working with the stakeholders, uh, working with people, the management, people that are actually making these decisions and uh, aligning with them and uh, creating a rationale with the development team to ensure that they know why these changes are happening is really important and then to go on from there to come up with a new plan uh you know you've gone through that hard work of going through and making these beautiful roadmaps and timelines and all these things but like you said you need to throw it out and then start again if necessary and to ensure that everyone again is now on track to do whatever needs to be done next no that's great to hear i have a consumer non-producer experience question um so if a game gets delay and let's say the timeline was it was going to be released in six months time then they delay it knowing they have this six months buffer already then they do that two more times so two more delays which i think harry potter just recently got delayed again so like <laughs> as a producer surely 100 percent has to be a way for that not to happen like surely there's a way for a process to be put in place like wh what could be the story there I'll just uh, interject on that quickly. Um, I feel that um, if you've already been delayed more than once, then there's probably an underlying problem there that needs to be pinpointed and tackled quite uh, immediately. And this could be because of tech, it could be many different things. But I think it's really important that everyone kind of gets around whatever that is the issue and try and figure out a way in which that can be solved and then come with a respectable timeline to then be able to deliver that. Because, yeah, it might be multiple things that are causing these delays, but essentially what we see in the, what I've seen in the past is that these things tend to creep up because there's certain things that are happening within the project that are just uh, falling over themselves um, at, at most of the time. And you need to really be able to tackle exactly what that is uh, to stop that from happening again. And because the marketing as well that comes from these, uh, a lot of marketing money is spent on these, um, you know, leading up to these release dates. So a lot of money is being wasted 
So there's a really a key priority to make sure that you're able to really like pinpoint exactly what that thing is that's causing the uh, the delay. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was going to say a similar thing where I think it's a uh, it's a lot of times a question of like uh, a snowball effect. Like it's it's usually it's not just one thing or or actually like it is one thing, but it's one big underlying thing that cannot be seen. And it's like Sen mentioned, like it's it could be easily something really simple in the background, but then because of the snowball effect of it not being addressed already before during production, um, and then then just like it's it's showing symptoms as something else. And that's then like a lot of people might cause like consider that to be the cause of the delay. But um, usually usually it is it's a it's something big underlying that needs to be tackled and you, you do need to kind of look look into it uh, in a really with a really like big microscope and just trying to be like what's happening here uh, but I think one of the one of the things though is also is like when a project is being delayed like sometimes that's just a reality like we you understand like there's no we don't have any other options we have to delay this I think there's also a point to be made of having the courage to just also like delay it enough because a lot of the times I think a lot of people will think like oh well we'll just do six months like we can do it in six months um but being real realistic about it obviously like with the situation in Harry Potter I don't even remember how many times it's been delayed right now and it's it's totally bumming me out because I really want to buy the game and play the game <laughs> so um I think it would be better for a company to say like hey we're we're gonna just take a year and work on this um, instead of doing, hey, we'll we'll do six months, and then they say again, we'll do again six months. Um, not only like like Sen mentioned, marketing costs in, in there, but also it just takes a lot of toll on the development team. Like if they think that they have a deadline in six months, and then they have another deadline in six months, it's a it's essentially like it's creating, even without a crunch culture in the company, it is creating that same kind of feeling. Like you you feel like you you have a deadline, you have to like we have this pressure we have to get it out we have to get it out we only have six months and then it's another six months so if you were able to do another six months it means that you probably would have been able to do a year in the beginning so it's 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 just like it's a really tough call to make it's a really tough thing to suggest like say hey like we need another year a year is a relatively long time but if it's better for the project like just find the courage and find the data that proves that the year will be better it's going to be a lot better for us and then just make your case. And um, I don't know, like it, you, you never know where the cards fall, but if you if you do your job well, I think you'll have a really, a lot happier development team, but also like, I think nowadays because of the global, like the whole thing, like everybody can see game development more now, nowadays. I think even the fans would understand it. They, I think a lot of people will do understand nowadays that game development isn't an easy thing and it's there's a lot of pressure there. So I think, being realistic about the deadlines would be a lot better in that case. I think I fixed I think I figured it out guys. I think what they're doing is they have exactly what Joanna said. They done that six month delay, but I think the developers knew better. And my story is going to be the quarterly reports shareholder stakeholder people. Like imagine having a one year delay and pitching it to them they're like that's not going to happen, guys. No, we, we, you, you can do it in six months. They haven't made a game in their life. I can, I can just imagine that conversation happening uh, in so many different levels. Uh, and then I feel like they could stomach a two six-month delays. I'm like, okay, I guess you gave it a good go. Uh, and I can imagine that conversation happening multiple times. So that is my theory there. Please don't sue me if that is grounds for <laughs> suing. Uh, awesome. 
uh, guys, that was a great time. I'll conclude here. Uh, this has been the Evolution Gaming Podcast. I want to take this opportunity to thank Maxime, Sen, Joanna, and Sambo for giving those insights. And if you'd like to get involved in a future uh, podcast or start on a webinar or anything like that, or just want to chat, you can reach out to me on LinkedIn. Uh, LinkedIn at HBOKU, BOKU spelled P-H-O-K-O-U. And that is everything from me. Thank you very much for listening.